Find you a microphone. There you go. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, I tell you, I just believe that God wants everybody to have a song in their heart today. Yeah. In prayer this morning, that was kind of the prayer, and I heard two songs today about having a song in our hearts. So, Father, I just thank you so much for every person that you've drawn here today, and I just pray that we would have a song in our hearts. Let our hearts be fertile ground for your word, cause us to receive it, and grow in you. Bless the pastor, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Claude. All right. So we continue with, we have just a few more sermons in this series, the Amazing Adventures in the Story of God series. Uh, And today we're going to do a story that is fascinating. And people love this, especially kids. They seem to just love the story. We're going to talk about Jonah. Uh, And it's always, isn't always the case that when you are about to do something, you always find little connections throughout the week that have to do with that thing. So, like, we're, you know, I knew I was going to be preaching Jonah this week, and, uh, and I came across an article about a kid, a 19-year-old kid down in Florida, I don't know if any of you saw this, who, his name's Chris Kreese. Uh He is a Florida teenager who is fascinated with marine life, and he was riding in a little skiff with his family. Did you see this? And a 30-foot whale shark goes floating by the boat. And this is a 50,000-pound animal. Uh, It's as big as a school bus. And this 19-year-old says, you know, it'd be really fun to jump on the back of that thing and take a little ride. And that's what he did. He jumps out of the skiff. He grabs the dorsal fin. And he starts, and it's all on video. You (laughs) You can see it. He starts floating, you know, down. And he kind of turns and does the cowabunga sign, you know, the, the, you know. I didn't know people still did that, but maybe in Florida. But uh, gives us the cowabunga, and then the, the whale shark decides to descend, and he lets loose. Um, so we're going to talk about a guy who took a slightly less enthusiastic ride uh, uh, with a very large uh, marine life uh, uh, today. Um, I also noticed this week we were at the, we were, my wife was shopping with the kids, and so I took the boys next door to the pet store over by Trader Joe's. And there's a pet store, and they really only have mainly fish. They don't, I, we were looking for dogs, we were looking for, you know, they have some birds too. But uh, we go over, and we're looking at all the fish, and I couldn't help but notice the sign, which was, you know, I think they meant it as, uh, you know, something that's really beneficial uh, and it might make you want to buy the fish. It said, the, the sign said this. Um, it says, our 14-day guarantee ensures that all of the fish, plants, invertebrates, reptiles, and amphibians will arrive alive and remain alive for 14 days from the date of the sale. And I thought, 14 days? Oh, really? Well, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, usually get a 30-day return policy. They're only saying, this thing's only going to be alive for a couple of weeks, okay? So don't, don't worry about it. And it, it actually made me think, you know, maybe the, the, the fish is the right pet for our family. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's not very mobile. Uh, you can feed it with a little pinch of food between your thumb and, and first finger. Um, and if things don't work out, it, it will be over in two weeks, apparently. So, <laughs> so... Uh, uh, there were just fish all in, the, all in my world. Um, all right, so Jonah. Here's, here's a little background on Jonah. Jonah was actually a prophet of God. 
He was a minor prophet, so there was a, a bit of an inferiority complex uh, with Jonah. But he was, he was one, of, one of God's chosen oracles. And you have to remember, this, Jonah lived 700 years before Jesus. This was at a time where, uh, you know, the scriptures had not been written, had not been pulled together and cold. And so uh, when a prophet spoke, that was the way that God communicated with Israel. Sometimes it was predictive, but sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it was just saying, here's, this is the voice of God. Here's what God wants to communicate. And Jonah was such a prophet. Um, He's only mentioned in very briefly in another part of the Bible in in 2 Kings. And in that passage, I kept going back to that passage to see if there were any clues as to what we should understand about the story of Jonah in the book of Jonah. There's just one book of Jonah. It's it's about four pages long. You can go home and read it today. It's it's a very short read. Um, But but, uh, he's mentioned in this other part of the Bible in 2 Kings. And in that part, Jonah gives a prophecy to the king, Jeroboam, at that time. And the prophecy was, Jeroboam, you are going to be able to shore up and strengthen the northern part of the boundary or the border of Israel against your enemies. So that was the one prophecy that Jonah gave other than what we're going to learn about today. The only other prophecy he gave was a prophecy about us being able to keep them away. All right, And that's important, I think, for the story here. You see, Jonah grew up in a town near Bethlehem. Bethlehem is up at the northern part of, um, of Israel. And if you look at a map of the, the date and time, you know, 600, 700 years before Jesus, right above Israel was Assyria. And, and, and in Assyria, Assyria was a, an encroaching force that was coming always incrementally towards Israel, trying to overtake it. Um, Assyria... Uh, well, let me, let me, before I jump into a series, let me, let me just start with the, with the passage here. So Jonah 1, 1 through 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. A Nineveh, Nineveh is in Assyria. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God is telling Jonah, Jonah, go up to Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Go up to Assyria and tell them that that I'm going to be um, I'm going to bring judgment upon them, and I want you to tell them to repent. Now, let me just give you a little bit of detail on Assyria. Assyria was known for architects; it was known for the trades; it was they were skilled craftsmen, but it was also known for being brutally cruel in battle. And so the Assyrians would and I won't get really graphic, but they would impale their enemies with stakes. Uh, They would behead them. They would flay them alive. They would skin them. We know that not only from the historical accounts that were issued at that time, but in archaeological evidence that we have dug up today, the Assyrians, and here's a a relief that the Assyrians have, they actually see, I don't know if you can see it there, but uh, they they were proud of this conduct. They were proud of the fact that you know, if someone fought them, they would absolutely destroy them. They would impale them. They would behead them. They would skin them alive. And so these were the carvings there in Assyria that were sort of um, promoting or bragging about, if you will, uh, their, their exploits. So remember, these are the Assyrians. These are the people that Jonah is called to preach to. And like I said, Jonah has grown up just a few, you know, not, not far from where the Assyrians 
boundary was. Jonah had zero interest in helping the Assyrians out. When God says, hey, tell them that I'm going to bring judgment on them and that they need to repent. Jonah has zero interest in telling them to repent. He wants judgment to come upon them. He wants God to destroy them. Okay, which leads us to uh, the next the next passage, Jonah three. God tells him to do it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Now, uh, without knowing where Tarshish is, this this passage uh, isn't that humorous. But I think uh, let me show you this next slide. This is okay. I don't know if you can see down here this. Down there where it says Joppa, that right around in there is where Jonah was at the time the Lord told him to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is represented by that little red dot at the far right of your screen. Tarshish is over here across the Mediterranean Sea in Spain. Um, so Jonah says, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't say anything. Jonah goes, gets on a boat, and goes to Tarshish. Okay, so... It's, it's funny. I mean, Jonah really is, when you get all of the context of the story, it really is a humorous book because it just, the, the contrast between what God is asking Jonah to do and what he, in, you know, he actually does is so great that you almost laugh when you read it. Um, so he actually could not have chosen a further destination. If, if, if God said, you know, to one of us, hey, go to Maine and preach a revival. And we said, yes, Lord. And we got on a plane and flew to San Diego that's sort of what, what, Jonah, what Jonah did here. I'm glad that God uses totally imperfect creatures, uh, not just perfect creatures. So although Jonah's message, the oracle, the, the message of God's prophets is always accurate and true, the messengers are not always <laughs> the greatest guys, as Jonah will, will show us. So he gets on a boat, goes to Tar- Tarshish. Jonah 1, 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So everybody's freaking out going, oh no, we're going to die. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. (laughs) So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? I think we may be missing something in the Hebrew here. I think uh, the you sleeper may have had a little more umph to it. Uh, what do you mean, you sleeper person? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What's interesting here, and we see it throughout this scripture, Jonah, the ship is being torn apart. It's being thrown back and forth. Everyone, they're throwing cargo overboard, rain waves, everyone is completely freaking out. Jonah goes down and takes a nap. Jonah does not care uh, if, this, if this ship breaks up. We, throughout this passage, throughout the book of Jonah, he keeps saying, it'd be just f- better if I just died. I don't care. I, I'm happy to just, I'm not, I will do anything but go to Nineveh and preach to these people. So he basically says, I don't care if the ship does break up. I'll just, I'm, I'm happy to die. I would rather die than go to Nineveh. So what they do is they draw lots. They basically, you know, rolled the bones or rolled the dice. And the, and the bones of the dice show that it was Jonah's fault. And plus Jonah had already told the guys. He said, look, I'm running from what God has called me to do. 
Uh, they rolled the bones. They point to Jonah. They call it drawing lots in the Bible. Um, and, the, and, and so they said, look, Jonah, you're the fault. You're at fault here. What should we do? And Jonah responds in verse 11 or 12. He says, um, why don't you do this? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What's fascinating is Jonah didn't say, you know what? Let me repent to my God. Let me reverse my view. Let me change my attitude. Let's pull over. Let me out. I'll go to Nineveh. That'll calm down. The he says, you know what? Just toss me into the ocean and everything will be fine. I don't care. Throw me out. And the story says that the guys, the mariners, the, sea, the seamen, didn't want to throw him out. They refused to throw him out. They kept throwing other stuff out. And they kept trying to find a way not to throw Jonah overboard. But Jonah insisted. And so, in verse 15... Says So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the part that, the, that you know, the, the part that everybody knows. Jonah in the belly of the whale. Um, you know, when you study this stuff, some people get a little sidetracked on the historicity or the how could this happen and you know is this really possible and did this happen is this more metaphorical and but i would say this this story is not about the anatomy of a fish it's not about the phylogeny of a species of animals okay this story is about a man who refused to obey god and was thrown into despair into the belly of a fish it's about a man who is in deep, deep distress, who calls out and says, God, I'm in a pit. I'm underwater. I can't see. I can't breathe. I've, I've gone away from you, and I can't figure out how to get back to you. And I think that that is the part that really on a sort of a spiritual and emotional level hits home for us because we have all been in this situation. One thing that I love about Jonah Unlike some of the other stories that we've read, the, the last few stories that we've gone through, Esther and the three Hebrew children and some of these, they suffer, or Lot, uh, Job rather, they suffer as a result of things that are totally outside of their control. And, and, and some of us, we've talked about, some of us have also incurred or endured that type of suffering. But I relate more to the suffering that comes as a result of our own wrong choices. You know, I mean... There were years where I endured that sort of suffering. Uh, and, and we all do. How many knows that when you just keep going against what God wants you to do, you keep running into roadblocks. You keep running into difficulties. You keep running into challenges. Things don't flow. Things don't work out right. When you keep having the wrong attitude and the wrong spirit and the wrong action, um, you, you, you don't get very far. You don't get to relish and enjoy life. You just keep running into roadblocks. And that's what Jonah does here. Men throw him overboard. God appoints a fish and, and, and swallows him. Uh, then, in perhaps my, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and I know that every little boy that I know uh, and little boy at heart uh, loves this scripture. It's verse 10 in chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And every little boy goes, yeah, that's awesome. 
Um, so this would, be, this would be a good place for the story to end. Jonah is spit out onto dry land. He has prayed to God. He has repented. We actually hear in the, in the passage right before verse 10, we hear this psalm of, of prayer and petition that Jonah puts out to God. Uh, and he prays that God would, would, would save him, would rescue him. And God does, right? So this would be a great place for the story to end. And the, the wrap up, the sum up would be that Jonah learned his lesson, changed his heart, and is now going to follow God, right? But that's not exactly what happens. He gets out. He's out on the dry land. God could have said, Jonah, you know what? You've been through enough. Wipe the, the, the slime off of you. Take a shower. Change clothes. Go home. Take a rest. And let's start all over. That's not what God says. God says in uh, chapter 3, verse 2, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Remember what I told you in chapter 1? I'm telling you again. Because it's not, we're not done here. I, I asked you to go do something. I told you to go do something. You didn't do it. I rescued you. And now I'm telling you again, I've got a calling for you. I've got a particular mission for you. You may not want to do it. You may not like to do it. You may not understand what it is. But I'm calling you to go do it, Jonah. I'm calling you to go do what I've called you to do. Uh, God says, look, you disobeyed me. That's okay. We can, we can forgive that, right? You've got, you've got hatred in your heart towards the Assyrians. That's okay. We'll work through that, all right? You, you, you rebelled against me and ran from me. You're in good company. Most of my prophets or, you know, and apostles at some point betrayed me or turned against me. That's okay. We'll get you back on track. But you got to go do the mission that I've called you to do. Uh, so, again, this would be, if this was the movie version of Jonah, this would be when Jonah gets on a white horse and he rides into Nineveh and he gently extols the virtue of repentance. This is when he would lovingly nudge the, the Ninevites towards God's grace. This is when he would extol the, the mercy of God and say, come, you know, let's all follow God. And then he would, he would uh, you know, he would offer a, a growth track where they could, you know, develop their understanding of God, right? And it would be Church 101 and 201 and 301. He would get them involved in a life group. He would, you know, get them on the dream team. He would just really work. So, but, but Jonah, even though he's going to go do what God told him to do, he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to do it. He hasn't forgotten the havoc that the Assyrians have, have wreaked upon his people. So as he's traveling the hundreds of miles from somewhere around Joppa all the way up to Nineveh, he's not pouring over the commentaries of the Bible to, to come up with a really good sermon for the Ninevites, right? He's not, he's not reviewing sermon notes from, you know, Tim Keller and T.D. Jakes and, and, and these guys. He's not, he's not, you know, writing out a well-reasoned three-point PowerPoint presentation to give to the Assyrians, right? He's not working on his sermon. That's what I'm saying. He gets up there. Uh, let me just say this. The, the prayer that he prayed is a beautiful prayer when he was in the belly of the whale. But it turns out to have been what we call a foxhole prayer. A foxhole prayer is a prayer 
that you pray in the foxhole when the bullets are whizzing by you, when there's danger all around you, and you're saying, God, get me out of here. But when he gets you out of there, you kind of forget all of the promises you made in the foxhole. And that's the kind of prayer that Jonah prayed in this case. So now that he's out, he says, all right, look, I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm still not happy about it. Scripture says that he went up to, started going up to Nineveh, and he preaches perhaps the shortest sermon of all time. This is the, this is the entire published version of Jonah's sermon to the Ninevites. Eight, eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Thank you and good night. Song service can begin. This is it. This is all. And you know what? The, the funny thing is we learn in a, in a minute. We learn that this is what he wants to happen. Forty more days and God is going to bring judgment upon you. Internal monologue. And I can't wait. I can't wait for that to happen. Right? <laughs> uh, the paraphrase is your toast. Is the paraphrase of his. So then, Jonah, so then the story says that Jonah went over east of Nineveh. Went up on a hill. Sat down. Got some popcorn. Got a foam finger that said brimstone on it. <laughs> Thanks, Jason Fry. I stole that from him. Uh, And was waiting for the fire to fall. Excited. Cannot wait until the judgment of God comes down upon these Assyrians who have insulted and assaulted our people for generations. Can't wait for God to wipe them out. But that's not what happens. What happens is, based upon that eight-word sermon, the scripture says that the Ninevites repented. And they turned away from their evil ways. It says they tore their clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, began to fast. The king of Nineveh told all of his people, we need to fast, we need to pray to the God of of Israel and ask that God to forgive us and maybe he will not pour out his judgment upon us, right? This is when you think Jonah would say, wow, the scripture says 120,000 people repented on that day. This is when you think Jonah would say, Thank you, Lord, for using me as a vessel to bring about the greatest revival in all of history. One sermon, eight words, 120,000 people came down to the altar and gave their life to you, right? This is when you would think that Jonah would rejoice in gratitude for what God has done through him. But this is Jonah's reaction. Jonah 4, 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, this repentance business. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. He said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, God, I knew this was going to happen. Your mercy is extended beyond Israel, is extended to these people who are evil and wrong and bad. And I knew this is what was going to happen. And that's why I was trying to get away to Tarshish because I knew that if I came here and preached this sermon, they would repent and turn to you and you would save them. And I am not happy about that, Lord. (laughs) Jonah is one of these guys that the Bible does not call us to emulate. 
we, don't, we are not called to be like Jonah. You will not hear me at the end of the sermon saying, here's the five ways that you can be like Jonah. We should not be like Jonah in the way we think, in the way we believe, in the way we act. All right? He fi- finally did what he was supposed to do, uh, but he didn't, he, he didn't do it very willingly. God then, in the very end of the very last part of, of Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah, it says that God uh, made a little plant to grow in the desert. And this little plant sort of grew up overnight and covered Jonah's head and again provided him some shade while he was waiting for, you know, God's fire to fall. And then it says the next day God sent a little worm to eat the plant so that the plant would die and come back down. <laughs> and, and of course, Jonah is, is angry, and the Lord speaks to Jonah and says, uh, why are you angry, Jonah? And he says, because, you know, I had a plant, and it grew, and it was a shade, and now it's gone. Uh, and God says, look, you didn't put the plant there. You didn't take it away. You had nothing to do with that, and yet you're angry about a single plant. He said, I just saved 120,000 people from judgment, and you're worried about yourself, and you're worried about a little plant. And that's how the story of Jonah ends. We don't know whatever became of Jonah. We don't know if he ever got it. We don't know if his heart turned around, if his, if his mind repented. We don't, we don't really know. Uh, but the story ultimately is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah, even though it has his name as the, as the title, is not really about him. It's not really about the fish or the whale. It's not really about... Uh, the, the sailors. It's not really about the storm. What it's really about is a God whose mercy is infinite. It's about a God whose grace extends to people who don't deserve it. It's about a God whose grace, love, passion, and mercy, and patience with all of us is infinite. Despite the number of times we mess up, despite the number of times we turn away, despite the number of times we expressly run the opposite way from the way he wants us to run, it's about a God whose grace keeps pursuing us, keeps coming after us, keeps loving us. Um, I'm just going to go through a few, just a few little points here that I want to draw out of the the book uh, of Jonah. And the first one is that, that God extends his grace to the undeserving. He extends his grace to the undeserving. This is a core principle of the Christian faith is that you cannot, through your own goodness, make God love you. God loves you when you're bad. God loves you when you're wrong. God loves you when you're totally messed up. God loves you when you have zero interest in him. God is with you when you don't see him, when you don't know him, when you're in the belly of a whale, when you're running from him, when you're at the bottom of the ocean, you got seaweed wrapped around your head, you've completely turned away from him. He's right there with you. He's right there with you. He loves you. Um, uh, Sean was asking me, the other day, or actually today, about whether I, I golf. And I said, well, it's funny, because I was actually going to use that as a, as a little story in today's sermon. There is, and, and I think for many, for many of us, there is the aspirational self, and then there's the actual self. The aspirational self is the self 
that you imagine when you imagine the idealized version of yourself, right? And I have a golf bag, and I have golf clubs, and I have plaid shorts. And um, I, you know, I have golf balls, and, and I have gotten out on the golf course more than once. And for some reason, in my mind, every time, it's like, this is the time. I figured it out. I've got it. It's going to work this time. In fact, I had a, I had a, when I first started working here in St. Louis, uh, some of the guys from my work, we all went out golfing together, and I was a part of a threesome of, a, of, of guys golfing. And, uh, and, and it was some people from the firm where I work. And it was, it was uh, a partner, a senior partner, and then it was like a senior associate who was sort of on the cusp of becoming a partner, and then it was me who was the brand new guy who just, you know, kind of just showed up. And so we, we actually golfed in that order. We had our own pecking order. And, um, and so the partner gets up and, you know, gets up there. I'm left-handed, but he did it right-handed. And he just drove, he swung, and that ball went flying. I mean, straight, high, far. I mean, it just, you know, it's like landing near the green. It's just, it was beautiful. And I thought, and this is hole one, and it's going to be 18 holes. And I thought, man, this is not, this is not going to be a good day for me. Because I have never, even in my aspirational moments, hitting a ball, I've never hit a ball anything like where that ball went. So... Fortunately, I wasn't the second one up. The, uh, the senior associate was the second one up. He got up there, and, you know, he had on, he had on the golf gear, too. He looked, like he, he looked like he knew what he was doing, you know. He gets up there, lines it up, pulls back, misses the ball completely. Whiff, no ball. And I thought, this day's not going to be that bad, actually. It's not going to be that bad. Because I think I'm somewhere in between these two guys. Um, but we have this aspirational self, right? And we have the actual self. And we tend to think that God loves the aspirational self, but he doesn't love the actual self. And the story of Jonah says, no, God loves you as you are. God loves you where you're at. He loves you when you are not what you want to be, when you are not who you want to be. And there is a a, a terrible idea that sort of permeates many churches, and that is get right with God and then everything will be okay. And what they they mean by that is straighten up your act, do right, and, and then God will love you. Listen, straighten up and do right are good things, and we will preach those things. But that's not how you get God's favor. God loves you when you are yet sinners. Romans 8, Romans 5, 8 says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. So it's not about us getting right and then God will love us. It's about when we're running from God, when we're hiding from God, he loves us even then. Which brings us to point number two, which is that God's grace pursues us even when we try to run from him. Uh, I, I, my, my wife knows this story. My family knows this story. I, I don't talk about this story very much, but I will share just a, a bit of a story of, of when I felt like God had first called me to ministry. And 
you know, many of you know that my, my family was, were ministers. My dad, my grandfather on my mom's side, my grandfather on my dad's side, and 90% of my uncles. So there were some, there were some preachers in the family. Um, and at 18 years old, I remember I was, at, it was, I was coming up to the end of high school, and I was really trying to figure out, God, where do you want me to go? Which direction in life? Where should I pursue? What, what direction should I go? And I stayed after church one time, and at one, one evening, and it was, a, it was the church that my father pastored, and uh, everybody had left, and I went down into a Sunday school room in that church. And I began to pray, and I began to read scripture, and I began to really seek out what God would have me do. And the long story short is that in that moment, I felt distinctly based upon the passage that I was reading and just my own internal, the way God was speaking to my heart. Um, I knew that God was calling me to go into ministry, to be a pastor. I knew it. I knew it unequivocally. And this is something I would not recommend for, for anyone else to do. I so badly wanted to break away from all of that that I remember I was reading this Bible in this Sunday school room and God forgive me, I took the Bible and just threw it across the room, walked out of the Sunday school room and for the next 20 years was in a spiritual desert, was in, a, was in spiritually in the belly of the whale. I was there. Where, where Jonah was at. I was underwater, man. I, you know, I was able to f- live my life. I did what I did. I made, you know, I made a living. I did. But down in my heart, I knew that I was running from God and that I, I just, I just, at some point, I was going to have to turn around. And you know what? God was with me every single moment of those 15 or 20 years that I ran from him. I guess it wouldn't have been 20 years. Um, Fifteen, let's say. We'll round. Let's round down. Ten years I was out in the desert. <laughs> and all last year I was, no. Um, what is interesting about this story is that Jonah embodies both of the types of sins, both of the types of ways that we run from God. Some of us are overt sinners. Some of us run from God in ways that are very public, very visible, very clear. We make choices that we know are in defiance of what God wants us to do. We're overt sinners. Some of us are covert sinners. Some of us have an, a, an outward expression of love for God and repentance and But inwardly, we are corrupt. Inwardly, we are not loving people. Inwardly, we're not loving God. Inwardly, we don't have mercy. Inwardly, we covet. Inwardly, we have all sorts of sin. All of us have probably toggled between these two at some point in our life. Jonah does both in this one story. The prodigal, the prodigal son parable is is just that. It's, It's one son runs out, you know, and just blows it, you know, blows all of his dad's money you know, goes to wild, reckless parties, you know, and the, the other son stays home, works hard, but has just bitterness in his heart, you know, and Jonah does both. Jonah runs from God, and then God turns him around, and he does what God tells him, but in his heart, he doesn't, it's not there, right? And what God is saying, I think, through this book is that 
whatever kind of sinner you are, God is still in pursuit of you. His grace is still pursuing you. His grace is still reaching out to you. His mercy is still trying to bring you to him. He's trying to open up your heart and and spread his love into your heart and into your life. Uh, So one one commentator called Jonah's uh, attitude when he was mad about the repentance, he called it spiritual infantile regression. He said, you know, what, what Jonah wanted to do is just like, God, I can't believe you're saving these people. You know, he was just, you know, I've, I've been your faithful prophet all these t- years. Israel is your chosen people. And you're choosing to save these people who impale their enemies and who, you know, are cruel and mean. And God's saying, yeah, that's right. I reach out to everyone. I reach, my love extends beyond the boundaries of Israel. My, my love extends to, to everyone. And I'm pulling everyone in by my grace. Amen. And then finally, the, the last point I just want to, to say is this, is that uh, God is calling us to stop running and to walk in his mercy and grace. This is what he's calling us through the story of Jonah. I believe this is, this is the, you know, if you've got the, how do I apply this to my life? This is it. Stop running. Stop running from God's mercy. The thing is, when we're running from God, we think we're running from his judgment. We're not. We're running towards his judgment. We're running from his grace. We're running from his mercy. And God is saying, hey, stop. Stop. Let me pour out my grace upon you. Enjoy the grace. Enjoy the mercy that I have for you. I read a story not long ago in the paper about a guy, uh, David Lee Kemp. He was a 43-year-old guy, and he was, on, he was uh, actually on trial for murder, and he was incarcerated. Uh, and... In 1999, he and several other inmates in Oklahoma had this sort of daring uh, breakout um, escape. They, they had a, I believe they did it, they threatened the guard with a barbecue fork. <laughs> and um, anyway, they all took off and they escaped and everyone was captured except this one guy, David Lee Kemp. And David Lee Kemp was on the lam for 43 years, running from the law, hiding, ducking, keeping away from, from the law. And he was successfully doing it. Uh, but but one day last, I think it was actually last year or, or maybe it was two years ago, he walks up, he's at a truck stop. He walks up to a trucker. Uh, and the newspaper article said that the trucker was apparently asleep. So I don't know if he just went to the cab of the truck or whatever. But, and he said, hey, you know, grab your cell phone and dial 911. Uh, my name's David Lee Camp. I've been on the lam for 14 years. And he said, I'm tired of running. <laughs> I'm tired of running. I just want to stop. And I think, you know, in a, in a metaphorical way, some of us may be tired of running. There may be those parts of our life that we have just kind of kept from God and we've kind of hidden from God and we've tried to, you know, run from God. And God's saying, hey, stop. Aren't you tired of running? Like, come to my mercy. Come to my grace. Turn around. Let me love you. Let me show my, let me shed my light upon you. You know, Jonah had... Three thing, he was doing three things wrong. He was thinking wrong. He had the wrong attitude. And he was acting wrong. And, and we won't get into this much today, but a, a lot of times one leads to the other. You know, you have the wrong thought or belief. It creates the wrong attitude or feeling in your heart. And based upon that, you engage in the wrong action. Right? It sort of flows one to another. You know, Jonah had this 
Jonah was, was really had a, you know, a bigoted sort of ethnocentric religious, uh, you know, bigoted view of those people that God was calling him to, to preach to. And because of that view, that wrong idea, that wrong belief, he had a wrong attitude about them. And based on that wrong attitude, he made the wrong decision and ran from God. And God is, wants to reconcile all of that. God is calling all of us into the mission, into a calling that he has for each and every one of us. None of us are exempt from that. None of us are just bystanders in God's story. All of us are being called to go and do the gospel, to preach the gospel through the way we live, each and every one of us. And we may be called to express it to people that we don't like or that we don't understand or we don't get. And God's calling us to do it. He's saying, go, go and do it. Um, the redemptive thing about Jonah is this, and we'll wrap up with this. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, show us a sign. Show us that you are the Messiah. In Matthew uh, chapter 12, Jesus says, I'm not going to show you a sign except one. I'm going to show you the sign of Jonah. They said, what's the sign of Jonah? He said, even as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and then, and then was restored onto dry land, even so, I will be buried in the grave for three days and then I will rise from the grave. And he said, this is interesting. He said, and this is, you know, Jesus, Jesus said some harsh stuff. He says, the Ninevites, the Assyrians will have to come back and show you how to repent. <laughs> he says, the, ba- this is, the, the guys that you think so poorly of, they'll be the ones demonstrating real repentance. He says, I will give you the sign of Jonah. In fact, all of the really early church catacombs, if you go into the catacombs in the, in the early church history, they all have paintings of the story of Jonah because it, was, it, was, it became such a deep and rich story to communicate God's redemptive power, God's grace, God's mercy, God's death, burial, and resur- Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection uh, to, to save all of us. So I will just end with this. Uh, we're not going to sing this song, but there's that song called Lay Him Down. And we sometimes sing that in, in here. And it says, uh, all you sinners and the weak at heart, all the helpless on the boulevards, Wherever you are now, whatever evil you found, bring all your troubles. Come and lay them down. You know, my one admonition to everyone here today is stop running. Because the thing that you might be running from is the best thing that could ever happen to you. God's love and mercy and grace will take you to places that you have never seen and can never even imagine for yourself. So stop running and let his grace pour over you today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the story of Jonah. Thank you for all of the, uh, the humorous moments in the story. Thank you for using Jonah to demonstrate to us, Lord, not what you want us to be, but how your mercy extends to us even when we are not what you want us to be. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that the book of uh, Jonah teaches us that even those people who we think of as unreachable, are reachable by your love and by your mercy. 
And God, we ask that you would interrupt our lives in the same way that you've interrupted Jonah's life, God. And, and bring us to you. Bring us to the mission, to the calling that you have placed in our heart. Give us the courage and strength to do it, God. And help us to overcome all of our own fears and, and, and biases, Lord. And just be the men and women that you've called us to be. Reach out to those that are, uh, that are not living for you. And, and help us to help bring them into your love, God. We know that you've called each and every one of us to be ministers of the gospel in our own way and through our own lives. And Father, we praise you for the strength through your Holy Spirit to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.